This is First Contact, stories of the call center. Welcome to First Contact, stories of the call center podcast, where we share the stories of well-known thought leaders and discuss all things related to the contact center space. Join us in this journey to hear stories of success, failures, and lessons learned from the contact center world. This is brought to you by Nobel Biz, your one-stop shop for all your contact center carrier and software needs. Hi everyone. Welcome back to First Contact, Stories of the Call Center. We're super excited for our guest today, Bob Furness, the renowned customer service and customer experience expert. Now, for those of you who don't know Bob, he has almost 40 years focused on helping companies improve their customer experience. Now, as a practice leader, him and his teams have driven customer success by defi- designing effective service support strategies across all channels. Now, their focus is on Salesforce, but they have experience all over the industry. And what's really cool about it is he's worked with some of the top brands around the world. And look, he's even received the prestigious ICMI Lifetime Achievement Award in 2017 for his work in the industry. And if that's not enough, look, Bob even has, yes, a podcast, The Contact Center Show, where he has tons of experience talking about Contact Center and the marketplace. Bob, we're super excited to have you. Thanks for joining um, I'm very, uh, very thankful for the opportunity and uh, appreciate the kind words. I, I, I stood on the uh, stage with Brad Cleveland when they gave me that. And I said, I thought the Lifetime Achievement Awards were something that you got when you got really old. And Brad said, <laughs> well, if you look around at this, at the who's in the audience, I think we both qualify. So Well, everyone's just, uh, you know, seasoned really well and everybody has gotten great experience. And so when you look at those kind of awards, I think it's a very humbling response, of course, when you say it. But it's really also one of those things where we look back and say, what have we done throughout our careers? What have we been able to uh, participate in and give back? But really in this show, right, we love to focus on where you started. How did you even get into this industry? And so that's where we'd love to start is what got you into the space in the first place? You know, it's a story of of happenstance, um, but it's a story of finding an industry that I love and and I can't imagine doing anything else. I've had opportunities to to do other things and and just continually stay in this world. I was working at Greyhound Bus Lines and uh, was loading buses. It was about uh, 22 degrees outside, and I was a young kid. And uh, there was an opportunity to uh, on the board to for a job in the in the what was called the phone room. And to tell you just how old I really am, when I got to the phone room, there was a 10 key uh, phone system that had little lights blinking. And you put somebody on hold and you were trying to make sure that it was blinking faster. So that that's the uh, ACD that I started out on. And I went to the telephone room, went to the fairs and schedules, helping customers and just fell in love with it. Greyhound subsequently opened up a, a, a large contact center in Charlotte, North Carolina. And uh, I picked up with my wife, my, my wife, my new wife, and we moved to Charlotte, North Carolina and uh, became uh, a nighttime supervisor. I, I worked the majority of the, uh, of the jobs in that contact center, including a trainer and um, uh, various other roles in, in the contact center, and just fell in love with the fact that it, it, it almost always involves people. And so yeah. y- if you don't like managing people, you're in the wrong business. And then I, I fell in love with the idea that uh, you could solve problems for customers. And um, there, there's nothing better than a conversation with somebody who caught a bus that came through uh, their little town and um, it only comes through twice a week and they're at a wedding and they lost their luggage. That's a whole nother level of customer service that no, the next bus is not coming until after your wedding. So I, I, I never forget those kind of calls, but, but I started out in a, in a phone room that became a contact center. 
What's interesting about that is, you know, I always talk about in the past, you know, the idea that you could fly to the moon, you could talk to someone on a telephone, uh, you can watch color television. It was like mind blowing at some point, right? People were just freaking out, even just being able to purchase something online. It's like, I'm not willing to trust making that purchase. But nowadays there's this feeling of like, everyone's upset that we're not Jetsons yet, right? We're not flying cars and I can't believe why we have to still uh, use certain technologies or we can't figure stuff out. And so it's interesting how you said that, you know, it's going to be getting you your luggage after the wedding. I wonder if was during that moment in time, was the expectation of the customer different then where they were maybe more patient? Or do you find it the same today? Is that there's just a, a unreasonableness and reality of emotion driving the reaction that everybody has when something doesn't go right? What have you seen over all these years in that? So first of all, let me tell you, she was not reasonable. Um, <laughs> she was not reasonable. I, I think that we as an organization, as a country have become more instant in our expectations. We, you know, we, we, we get mad when the line at McDonald's takes longer than we expect it to take. We stand in front of a microwave and tap the wall waiting on our food to come out instantly. Uh, <laughs> We, we as, as, a, as a country and as a people look for immediate satisfaction and immediate answers. And, and the internet, as you mentioned, doesn't make that any less uh, a reality. But, you know, whether I was working with uh, Bell South Mobility, which became AT&T, where we had a, a, a cell, a, a mobile phone. We were, you know, we were one of the first contact centers around mobile phones. And I ran a regional center there. Customers wanted their phone to work. Customers had high expectations that we were going to solve their problems. And so it was, it, it hasn't gotten less, but the more is different. I'm looking for immediate satisfaction is, is what is what I feel about today. Well, it makes sense. And I think one of the things as we look through your history, right, and all the different companies you work with and the journey you've had through the contact center space up until consulting, has there been something that has really stuck with you and guided you through all these days? Maybe something you learned that really has remained true throughout your career. So I worked for a guy by the name of George Shaver, and um, I was the nighttime supervisor and um, he I was going to be left in charge. And this was 45 people at night and everybody went home at seven and, and it was my contact center. I, I was green and young. And George pulled me over to the side and said, so you can call me if you need me. But here's what I would rather you do. I would rather you to make your own decisions. But but when we talk about the decision that you make, give me three good reasons that you came to that decision. And and we will I will you will never be faulted for making a bad decision because bad decisions are how you learn. And I subsequently work with a guy by the name of Mike Palmieri at 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 and T that um, had a similar event of allowing me to fail. You know, he would go, Bob, I, I don't think you're quite ready for this opportunity, but if you think you can do it, go ahead. And invariably, I wasn't ready. And we would we would talk about that and he would remind me. And then he would always ask the question, what did you what did you learn from this? What did you learn that you take that you take with you? So um those were learnings very early that it, it it's okay to it you need to think through the decision it's okay to not make the right decision but it's important that you learn from the decision and then putting people first came from just being in the contact center space doing a lot of reading from guys like uh, John Maxwell and Ken Blanchard and you know way back in the day of understanding that the contact center is driven by people and that you have to care about people. I had a manager tell me one time, um, in case he's listening, his name was Robbie Gaikwad. I'll, I'll never forget his name, but he told me that I was not going to get further in my career because I cared too much about the people that work for me. And I remember walking out of his office that day saying, 
I'm going to prove you wrong. And um, it could be why I'm not a CEO or a COO. It could be why. But um, but I know that I consult with some of the largest brands in the world. And I know that the message of putting people first has has helped me get to where I am and has helped me be successful in the roles that I've been offered and had the opportunity to, to, to be a part of. Oh, just so much to unpack that. I mean, we could have a whole nother episode purely on making decisions, creating an environment that encourages making decisions, taking ownership and learning from those decisions. Um, I, you know, I, I, I love, you know, I'm paraphrasing a quote here, but it's, you know, the path to success is paved with mistakes, right? You're going to have mistakes and it's okay, but learn from it, but make decisions. Don't worry about the failure or doing something wrong, but then you really pivot to caring about people. And we've talked a lot about how do you embrace, encourage, build up people. And uh, I love that that is such an important pillar and foundation of what it is that you do. And so that kind of translates well into um, walking us through what is slalom and what are you doing with slalom? So slalom is a is a consulting, a modern consulting company that supports uh, customers. Uh, you know, we, we've got a new goal. Let me, let me read specifically. Uh, we have a new uh, branded phrase of we help people and organizations dream bigger, move faster and build better tomorrows for all. And while that seems like a, a, a very wide goal, what I love about that is that at the highest level, at the CEO level of our organization, we are thinking about being able to make a difference in the world, a, a difference in companies that we're there to improve whatever um, opportunities they've given us to help improve. My team focuses primarily on the contact center space. Within the Salesforce space, we um, have teams around digital engagement, around service cloud, and around field service. And then I've got a, a, a relatively new team that focuses on contact center operational excellence and, and, and all the various technologies that are a part of a contact center. But our, my role is to give people opportunities to learn and flourish and to bring the right people to the table so that when we as a consulting firm stand in front of a customer that we have folks in place that have lived, that have both been successful in their roles, but back to the other comment that we've stepped in a few holes. So we're gonna we're gonna remind you that what you're talking about doing might be a good idea, but let, let me tell you what happened when that occurred, and um, let me tell you why I think you might want to choose a different route. So consulting to me is uh, it is a partnership in uh, being able to bring new ideas and a different way to do work. And again, the focus needs to be on it, your your employees. I couldn't agree with you more. And talking about employees, right? They're not only the front line in a contact center for your brand and your business with your customer, but they're the ones that touch the journey the most of all the areas that the customer is going to be engaging with you in on that part of the business, especially if it's customer service, right? And having the right people, knowing that there is relatively high turnover in the contact center space. You've said some really interesting things around hiring the right people. How do you find the right person? How do you actually decide in an interview that there are things about that person that lends well to being great at customer service? Do you have some insight you can share with our audience around maybe some questions or things that you should look for to make sure you have the right person for that type of customer service role? So one of the bellwethers that I've used in the past and one of the questions that I've used is, um, when I'm in the interview with somebody who's going to be working at that front line or going to be supervising at that front line, uh, I ask, um, do you tell me about a time in the last three to six weeks that you've helped someone? And then I just get quiet. 
And what I find is that if you have the mentality of service, if you have the mentality of wanting to help people, you can tell me about going to your grandmother's house. You can tell me about somebody that was on the side of the road. You can tell me about an opportunity um, in, in your job where you've been able to solve a problem. So you're looking for, in my opinion, you're looking for people that have a service mentality. I can teach you the technology. I can teach you how we do business. But what I need at your core is that. And, and I believe sometimes in the contact center space, at least, um, you know, I've, I've been in that situation. I got 64 calls on hold. I'm down 16 agents. We're doing mirror tests in a hiring process. Can we just get some people in here? I, yeah. I think I don't think that's as prevalent as it used to be, but I, I think sometimes we get in that mode. I'll give you an example. I was working with a, a very large uh, computer company. We were working in their contact center out in um, out on the West Coast, and um, we were doing this analysis about why were they having so much turnover and how could they improve their culture? And so I usually work in reverse or, or, or start in reverse. So what kind of people are you interviewing? So what, what are you saying in your ads? What, what are you, what are you addressing in your recruiting of people? And then what are you, what are you saying about the job and how are you training as an onboarding experience? And then what are you doing when you're continuing to train? Are you continuing to train what what a buddy of mine at, at a company called uh, Camp 4 calls tough skills? We used to call them soft skills. They're not soft skills. They're tough skills. <laughs> like the, the, the third time or the 30th time that somebody tells you a story, you've got to use empathy as, as a skill versus empathy as an emotion. Um, to get you through that interaction. But at that location, what I did when I worked backwards was I was sitting down with somebody that was interviewing the people. And I said, so tell me about the job that you're interviewing people for. Uh, this was a first interview. This, this is before they got handed to the supervisor. Yeah. And she couldn't do it. And, and I said, have you ever worked the job? And the answer was no. Have you ever sat with somebody who did the job? Well, no, I'm the recruiter. So I, I think we we need to bring people through the system that fit into the service mentality. But but we need to go back and look at the beginning of our interactions and make sure that we're we're recruiting and we're bringing the right people in and then we're, that we're training them and then that we're giving them ongoing. And by the way, this has gotten a lot harder in the work from home. I, 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 I'm assuming at some point you're going to ask me something about work from home, so I won't get on a rant about that. But, but there, <laughs> there's definitely, there's definitely some new challenges in our industry that I'm interviewing you here. I'm hiring you here. I'm, I'm training you here. So it's one of the things that in my mind that needs to be solved uh, in a better way. But um but I, I, I think it's about hiring the right people and it's about asking questions about who they are at their core versus have you worked in a contact center before? Running a contact center these days takes a great deal of courage and fortitude. Nobel Biz would like to salute the contact center community for not giving up and working hard to drive their businesses down the road to success. As the promise keepers of the industry, our goal was to provide one of the most versatile and cost-efficient omni-channel solutions on the market. Nobel Biz Omni Plus is a cloud contact center software that gives instant access to a full range selection of channels, from voice calls, two-way SMS, email, WhatsApp, Twitter, Telegram, among others. Our solution offers complete control over the externalities by switching from an on-premise technology to a cloud-based solution in just a matter of hours. Get integrated compliance support, advanced reporting, seamless agent and supervisor dashboards, and many more performance-enhancing capabilities, all in just one product. Nobel Biz Omni Plus, 
the future-proof solution for scaling contact center operations. Learn more about Nobel Biz OmniPlus at www.nobelbiz.com. I, I love what you do there when it comes to the idea that in that customer service role to drive that positive customer experience, it's people working with people. And if you have a person that cares, if you have a person at their core, as you say, that has a service mentality and you have a great question related to that, but you not only have people that are willing to listen and care, but to do something about it, right? They're compelled in their nature to do something to solve a problem. And it's so great to be able to take that core of people and then build them up. You know, you don't stop at just hiring somebody and hoping for the best. You're talking about training them onboarding them, continuous training, and I'm sure some sort of uh, opportunities as they continue to grow. And so with that said, right, there's the things that you do before and after to make sure you have a great uh, agent experience that can provide a great customer experience. But we're starting to see technologies now more and more in the world of agent assist, real-time guidance, where you're now helping that agent, empowering that agent live in that moment, in that web chat, in that phone call. Have you had much experience seeing these technologies in action? And if so, where do you see that impacting the agent and customer experience going forward? Yeah, definitely. Uh, Salesforce does a really good job, uh, as do other technologies. Um, you know, in the CCAS world, in the contact center as a service, CCAS providers are, uh, are, are bringing this capability forward also. But what I, what I see is that we did it in digital. We did it with chat. We were listening to the chat and we were making the next best action or the next best opportunity or the next best sales uh, or the next best knowledge article. We're now doing that in voice. And so with the voice application, if I'm, if I'm in real time allowing AI to, to convert speech to text, and then I have the ability to take that text and find, okay, so what they're talking about, let me give you a, what I think is the, is the next best action for you to take as an agent. The reality is that technology, though, needs to stay a tool that supports the, the human experience, that supports the interaction. Um, I still got to come back to who am I, who am I hiring and what, what am I, what kind of person can take that information in real time and convert it into a human experience? I, I think about a story. I was getting onto Southwest Airlines and I, I love to talk about Southwest Airlines because they're so different. They, they, they've become a little bit more like everybody else over the last, but. This was 10, 15 years ago, and I got onto a plane and I had something in my hand or something in the 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 uh, um, flight attendant said something, some some s sort of smart aleck remark. And yeah, yeah. and I laughed it. I laughed at her. And so we had a moment and we got back into the uh, the, the plane and I sit down and whenever it came time to put turn off your phones, she said she got on the announcement and she said, so we're about ready for our announcement. I'm sorry. She walked back to us that were in the exit row. And she said, so everybody, um, so I'm ready to do the announcement so we can leave on time. But this gentleman right here evidently is on a really important phone call. And he doesn't have time for this announcement. So we're just going to all wait a moment for him to get off of this call. And when he gets off, we'll do the announcement. And I, I said something like, I got to go. And so I walked back to the back of the plane while we we're on the flight and I, I wanted to have a conversation. I said something about uh, Southwest and loving Southwest. And and I said, how do they make you people this way? Like, what do they do to make you this way? And she said, they don't make us this way. They hire us this way. And she began to tell me what the hiring process was. So uh -huh. So allowing your folks to use who they are with the tool and the technology of AI, let them be them, but 
give them as much information on your screen. I, I, I definitely believe it. We're successful as a consulting company. I'm successful as a consultant when I change the paradigm or the lens of the agent. If I can change the lens of the agent, I can change the lens of the customer. I can change the customer experience because if I give them the right information, they have the ability to interact with the customer differently. Yeah, it's interesting about your Southwest story because you know, there's there's many ways to be memorable, right? But one way is to be the best. The other way is to be different. Right, right. And so they've really embraced the they different. Have. And what, when they embrace the different, they find people that also embrace the different. So they didn't have to train this person to say, this is how we want you to act. Normally, this person would probably act in that type of manner and that type of way or that type of humor. And they now just have to, like you said, teach them the technology or teach them the way the job is in other means. And so when we look at that, uh, it's great to see that each company that really knows what they're looking for and then how to find people that fit that mold, then it becomes easier to leverage technology, to leverage best practices and other things, because now you're not trying to change who someone is. You're trying to now bring what they are and let it shine. And, and that's a really great thing to see. So one of the things that you've mentioned you know, is that you really need to make the contact center agent's job easier, but by building a stronger human experience with both the agent and the customer, what are some ways companies can do that? I need, so the biggest detriment in my mind to agents not being connected to the customer is swivel chair. I'm logged into 14 different interaction integrations and I've got five screens or, or three screens and five windows open. And so the more that we as technologists can bring that down and allow them to have, I, I don't know that I can get it to one, but if I can get it from 14 to three, I've accomplished something. If I can get it from seven to two, if I can get it from three to one, then um, I've made a difference in their ability to pay attention to what the customer, you know, as a customer, I want you to listen to me. So if, if you are looking to try to figure out who I am on the screen versus listening to what I'm saying, you say something like, I'm sorry, could you say that again? So <laughs> I, I've also been on calls where we, we all have it. You ever been on one of those calls where you know they're doing the integration dance, the, the swivel chair dance, because they're looking in three different places to, to try to find your answer. And they're going, so how's the weather? I, I, didn't, I didn't call you about the weather. I called you about my plane ticket that's not working. So so I think that's one way. I I, I think that being able to bring together um, technology to work in tandem. So we, we now have CCAS that brings together multiple parts of what happens in a contact center. And we have a CRM system or a case management system that allows us to, to know who the person is and to record who that person should be. So what's interesting in my world, I, I've walked into contact, into organizations that are multi-million dollar organizations that don't have a CRM so or don't have case management. So, so for them, it's the foundational pieces. It's a little tougher when you walk in as a consultant and they've got everything in place. And if you were to score them on a one to 10, you would say they're a seven. Moving from a seven to a nine is a little tougher. In those cases, I think the focus has to be on things like culture and coaching and how am I going to bring this person to a better, how am I going to give them the tools that they need and then support them in a way that allows them to to find the answer quickly, but to then supply the answer in a way that supports the customer. 
Yeah. And, and we're doing that. We're doing that with Salesforce. We're doing that with CCAS. We're doing that in, in healthcare organizations by connectivity through systems like Epic that are patient systems. And, and how do I bring those together in a way that allows for that agent to work in, a, in an efficient manner? Yeah, well, I mean, when we talk about agents and being able to perform, we talk about engagement. We also talk about being there in the moment, right? And it's really hard to be engaged in the moment when you're fiddling, trying to figure out something through one to two to three to four, five different screens or systems. Because at that point, you know, we all talk about, oh, you can multitask. Well, it's, it's really, you're just really good at doing separate things really fast, but you're not really good at doing these two things at the exact same time at great levels of outcome. So being able to simplify that desktop, create that more singular, what some people call pane of glass or less windows, less things to do, helps them be more present in the moment, hopefully more engaged in what the actual thing that needs to be done to help. But with that said, you know, we talk about now the transition from, you know, the remote uh, aspect of business. Um, and we're talking now more of travel and, you know, going from virtual events to face-to-face -face and things that maybe you're seeing industry-wise. Now that you've really now been able to get to face-to-face -face events, what are the most influential trends or things that you're seeing happening right now in the customer service space? So I think that we've gotten, I, we have Zoom, we have Teams, we have Slack, but we haven't yet, th th there's still a void in the industry in my mind around engagement uh, with the agent. So, um, and, and perhaps, the the place that I've seen that be most successful recently and no, no disparage to teams. I was just on a team's call, but I, I think what's happening in the Slack world around the ability to, to crowdsource or internally source the right answer is giving that agent more empowerment to, to, to find the answer that they need. So things that the advent of Slack and the many ways that companies are using it to me is, is a, is a trend that will, that will improve what we do in the contact center. And I, I think we will see the concept of, of what we've done in, um, in other programs where we have level one, level two and level three that we're able to gain access to somebody in level three to find the answer. First contact resolution needs to be the same level of importance in a digital channel as it does in a voice channel. I, I, I don't know that we look at them the same. Um, we talk, I'll be on calls and, and a, a client will say something like, so we need to, we need to deflect more of our calls away from, from voice. I just hate that word. Um, <laughs> deflect, deflect says, I, I don't really want you where you are. You're uh, a nuisance. You, you, you're, you're bothering <laughs> me. Uh, what I want to do is to turn that around to the word that you used, which is engagement. I will engage with your bot. I will engage with your digital channel if it gives me the answer. And in fact, if you're a guy like me that's on the phone a lot, the last thing I want to do is talk to somebody in customer service. Help me with self-service. <laughs> so I, I think what we're seeing is companies are, are embracing digital channels. They're embracing self-service. A lot of time, the reason for that is to deflect or to push to, to cheaper channels. Whereas what I want to do is to have the conversation about how do we build a bot that can answer the majority of the reasons that people ask questions. Now, the best bot is not the best bot on the day that you open, you, you turn it on. 
the best bot is the bot that on the day you turn it on, you know, it's not very good. It's as good as you can get. And you're going to, you're going to continue to work with it over the next six months to, to learn from the data that it's giving you back, the questions that it's giving you back, the unanswered questions. So I'm going to continue to train it. I, I liken it to training somebody who's a new employee. I, I don't bring somebody into the contact center, turn them on on day one, put them through three weeks of training, turn them on on day one and walk away. And sometimes we do that in the in the bot world. And so it, it's, it's about the follow on training. It's about the follow on uh, design and and confirmation that we're answering the right questions. Yeah, I mean, I think you've mentioned, you know, if we want to talk about bots and then, you know, also embed AI into that, you know, you've mentioned AI is only as good as the training it's given by a human. <laughs> um, and where is the contact center space today in form of AI is you basically outline uh, what you put into it and what you invest into it and what you continuously put into it will pay dividends on the output. Otherwise, if you just set it and forget it, you're probably going to not only upset a lot of people and give them poor experiences, but you're probably now going to be increasing the amount of negative calls you're getting, which now is already uh, a bad experience for the agent that has to deal with something that uh, you could control better. And obviously for the customer, um, there, there's know, a futurist, at- there's a future, there's a guy that's a futurist at Salesforce by the name of Peter mm-hmm. Coffey. And um, I, I, I'm a, I'm an avid follower of him on Twitter and, I don't always understand what Peter's talking about, but but when I do understand <laughs> it, I'm always amazed. But Peter reminded me one time that AI becomes valuable when it when we're no longer talking about AI. I don't I don't mm-hmm. tell Alexa, and she's probably going to do something because I said that because she's she's on my desk. I don't <laughs> I don't tell her. Hey, I'd like to use AI for you to turn on the music. I just ask her to turn on the music. AI is in the background. I, I don't ask Siri to do things thinking I'm using AI. So AI becomes effective when it's no longer the focus. It's just the tool that we use to get to what the focus is. A famous African proverb says that if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. At Nobel Biz, we have made it our mission to travel far and wide with our partners and clients. As a complete telecom services provider with over 20 years of experience in the industry, Nobel Biz offers the only voice carrier network designed with the sole purpose of serving call centers around the world. This contact center dedicated carrier network provides crystal clear voice traffic, up-to-date compliance tools, intelligent routing, and highly secure data protocols combined with 99.9% uptime and easy setup. Our goal for 2022 is to become the ultimate partner and provider for the contact center industry by placing service quality at the top of our priority list. To top it off, at Nobel Biz, we have the most competitive cost per minute model in the industry. Need proof? Reach out to us and learn more about the Nobel Biz Voice Carrier Network at www.nobelbiz.com. Yeah, I mean, we always talk about meeting people where they want to be met, how they want to be met, when they want to be met. And part of that is if you feel that self-service is what is the best means of solving your problem, it has to do it well. (laughs) Otherwise, there's no reason to do it. Um, You're just going to create more problems. So there has to be intention, purpose. There has to be the outcome that you want, and then you can go from there. Now, one of the things you had mentioned in your LinkedIn profile that was actually really resonating with uh, with me and others where, you know, nobody owns the customer, but someone always owns the moment. Can you kind of elaborate a little bit on that? How does a company own a customer's moment? The way you ask that, my answer sounds a little silly, but you, you, do, it through, <laughs> you do it through ownership. Um, you've got to give your employees the ability to own moments, give them permission. Um, I've talked about that in training before that I I don't, I I need permission to answer the question. 
Um, and so if I give you permission to own the, the, the answer, um, at Bell South, we were struggling with folks who were leaving in, in a, in a churn situation and we were giving away too many credits to try to hang on to customers. So we got together in a room and talked about how to, how to solve that. And what our decision was, was to put all of our agents through a negotiation training and have them the ability to listen and negotiate with the customer. And then we gave them the ability to give away twice as much money as what we had originally had approval. Because what was happening is they, they could give uh, up to a hundred dollars, but then for anything more, they had to get a supervisor's approval. So now I've got a, I've got somebody coming to somebody and asking a question. And so when we trained them on how to negotiate, when we trained them on how to get to the, to the specific need of the customer, what we found is they were able to solve problems and our credits actually went down and our churn went down because what I was doing was giving them ownership to the moment, giving them that ownership. And then I also would ask the listeners out there, when's the last time that you talked about a customer situation when you're talking to your, your agents, when you're talking to your supervisors? Use moments. We've talked about customer opportunities that, on, on this call. Use moments where you're trying to change a policy or change a process, use those moments by talking about how the impact of the customer is and, and, and the customer that you impacted by changing that um, so that they feel the ownership of the customer. So I, I can own the mo I, I can't own that the customer's not gonna leave. I can't own that the customer it is has a particular kind of product, but I can own the moment that I talk with you and I can I can seek out ways to solve your problems, to provide you with the, what you're asking for. And there are times the customer's not always right. There are times where the answer <laughs> is is no. But let me tell you what I can do versus just no, that's not possible. I don't know about you, but my, 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 my biggest pet peeve is, so the policy says we can't do that. Really? Really? <laughs> the policy says that? The policy is living my life. The policy is in the middle of my problem. The policy didn't, didn't, it isn't going to make it to their meeting tomorrow. I don't think, I don't think that's a legitimate answer. Own the moment. Help the customer. You know, that's so special. I mean, there's so much to unpack there, right? You really have so many layers, right? There's the empowerment of the agent. There's the trust that you give someone so that they can make decisions. And in the end, when you have that trust, you have that training, you have that reinforcement. Goodness gracious, look what it does to retention. You have people that actually like their job more. They're feeling like they actually have a decision, right? You know, most Customer service roles have high stress, but very low control, right? You don't really have a lot of control in doing much. And really are in many ways, companies will make you into a gatekeeper, right? It, it isn't a person there to help you. You're there to block them, you know, and you said earlier to deflect in a way, you know, that gets done all the time where you maybe don't even get the resolution. So you get to the supervisor or some sort of manager, uh, because like you said, ah, oh, the policy says this and says that. And when you really allow these human connections to happen. Instead of it being that policy at the person, you allow the agent to be with the customer in that moment. And that's, I think, how you're describing how you have those moments, which is awesome. Yeah, and this now, is not the easy way to run your contact center, by the way. It, it's a whole lot easier. <laughs> no, it's a whole lot easier to put scripts up on the screen and say, don't follow, follow the, I mean, don't, don't deviate from these. Um, the kind of contact center I'm talking about, I've had folks say to me, we can't do that. But in order to do that well, I've got to coach. I've got to spend some time coaching my agents because they're going to make the wrong decision. So I've got to be there yeah. alongside them in a coaching environment to go, so tell me why you made that decision. Back to the beginning. Tell me why you made that decision. So if you could do it differently, what would you do different 
if, if you could write the script, what would you do different? Let me tell you what I would have done in this situation. Now, you did a good job making the decision that you made. I, I'm, I'm proud of you, but let's learn from this situation. That goes back to who I, who I became very early uh, with George Shelver, and it, it, it is tough to run your contact center in this manner. Oh, absolutely. I, I can easily see that. At the same time, though, in the right contact center environment with the right people, the right process, the right training, I can see where I've worked with brands that do it well. And at me as a consumer, I feel it and I trust that brand more and I'm willing to do more business with them. And I know they're going to take care of me, even when it's not always the answer that I want versus other brands where you kind of avoid them like the plague. You're just like, I, I know what I'm going to get. And either I have to buy that product or that's my only choice for service or whatever it ends up being that, you know, you're in for it and it's going to be tough. You know, with the time that we have left, I'd love to kind of shift a little bit to two different topics. Right. One, I think you already alluded to earlier, which was around the pandemic and COVID. What are the things that you say, look, this has now changed forever when it comes from what has been a byproduct in the contact center space and customer service industry in regards to COVID? Apart from the remote work area and that aspect, what have you seen or what can you say has changed forever? Well, you, you said the first one. Uh, I, I think, you know, we used to work with companies like banks and, 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 and companies that have data that they were concerned about. And they, they've said, oh, we could not possibly work from home. And then <laughs> on a Thursday afternoon, the decision was made to send everybody home on Friday and on Monday morning, they were doing work from home. Now, the reality is, is that we didn't have the right technologies to do that well. So we, we, we muddled along, but, but the reality is we did it. I, I don't think we're ever going back to a, the way we used to do work where I, I think we're going to end up with a hybrid mode. I, I think about the number of brands that I'm talking to today that has that hybrid environment, um, where, Less days a, a, a week are, are they they're work they're working from home a couple of days a week or you've got some employees working from home and some employees not. So with that comes a new way to think about management, about about leadership, about engagement. So yep. you've got to be more on purpose. Um, you don't have hallway calls anymore hallway conversations anymore. You know, I, yeah. I, I if if I want to if I want to talk about I had seven things yesterday that I needed to talk about with my with my boss. And I had a couple of choices. I could send an email that I might not get an answer to till later in the afternoon. I could pop it up on chat uh on Teams or on Slack and and I might get an answer to some of them. Or I could schedule a call to talk to her. So there were that is happening across contact centers everywhere. I I'm I'm expected to know the answer, but I but do I have the tools that I need to have that answer that would normally be stand up and walk over to the desk and ask a question or turn around and say, Hey Sarah, what's the answer to this question? Uh, because Sarah has been here longer than me and she has tribal knowledge. So the contact center owner at whatever level that is, and really at all the levels, needs to think about what are you doing to engage your employees? Not, not fun engagement, but engagement around their job. Um, are you scheduling so maybe you used to have one-on-ones once a month. Maybe now it takes once a week for 30 minutes or 15. You used to have huddles, which I used to be a huge advocate of. If you could figure out how to do it in a 24 by 7 contact center, can I have shift huddles? Um, what is huddle going to be in an online world? It's probably going to be a Slack, ch a Slack channel. It's probably going to be... Um, some form of me pushing information. What I like about Teams and Slack and Jabber and all of those is 
that I can still have a huddle digitally that allows folks to interact. So that is a better form of engagement than email because email isn't synced to real time. I don't, I don't ask a question, answer a question, ask a follow on, answer, I ask a follow on. And that's what Teams gives you. So I, I think that you have to be more on purpose about that engagement. Yeah, I, I think you're right on the mark there. I mean, it's almost over communication. You just have to realize what you did before that template doesn't overlay well in the new architecture of a remote world. And, you know, with that said, you've really said that the pandemic accelerated the need for contact centers to have a digital front door. What did you mean by that? Digital is we're not we're not going back. So, first of all, I, I've been around this industry for 40 years I can't tell you how many times I've heard the voice channel is dead. <laughs> yeah. It, it happens about every three to four years. Something changes. The person, person, personalizing websites to the person was the end of the voice channel in the contact center. Didn't happen. Um, chat was the end of the voice, voice channel. It didn't happen. So, so voice is not going anywhere. Um, I'm sorry. What was your question again? I got on a rant. No, no, it was great because obviously it does lend. To oh, the digital front door, the digital front door. I caught you. The digital front door. What I meant by that is we're in a digital world now. So what does your front door look like to your customers? Does it, mm -hmm. does it deflect or does it invite? So does your chat, is your chat about deflection or is it about engagement? Does your self-service, does it give them options at the right time? If I'm on your website and I'm looking through your self-service and your knowledge base and you give me the option to go to a live agent, are you sending that information to the agent and helping the agent pick me up where I left off? Or am I starting all over again? Because the technology exists to pick up where you left off. Um, so the digital front door is needs to be painted. It needs to be, it needs to be inviting. It needs to be something that the customer wants to be a part of. And if you do that, then you will have a lower cost channel. You will have a, 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 a better solution and interaction with the customer. Yeah. All this talk about doors and being appealing. All I can think about is curb appeal, right? Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Want, want your house. Um, so look, you know, we're, we're definitely getting to the end of the slot. We have only respectful of your time, of course, but I, I have to really end on a personal note, right? I really want our audience to understand more about the Keisha warrior princess um, initiative and being able to understand its mission and where, where it comes from and your participation. in So thank you so much for that opportunity. This, this is a personal story. And um, I, I, you know, sometimes people will ask, do you want to talk about it? And, and I, I want to talk about my daughter because she was the most fearless woman that I've ever known. So my, our lovely daughter, uh, Keisha, uh, was diagnosed with stage four breast cancer at the age of 30 years old. And um, stage four, so just to give you some point of reference, at stage one and two, which tend to be lumped together more in today's uh, medical world, you've got a 90, 95, 97% chance of survival for five years or more. And at stage one, it's, it's pretty much curable. Um, so 97, 95, 97%. At stage three, it drops to 85, to 80 to 85%. But at stage four, it drops into the 20s. Wow. So the importance of finding breast cancer early is important. Our, our sweet daughter, um, we didn't focus on the fact that how she got it. When she got it, we focused on how to live. And she lived for four years I, I started calling her the warrior princess because she was a warrior. She was so strong. 
I, I, I could tell you stories. Um, you know, I, I remember one time, this one always grosses people out. You may edit this one out, but she's leaned over a, a bucket and, and Red Devil um, chemo, of which she was on 14 different regimens, um, was was just destroying her body from the inside out. And she leaned over for about 20 minutes and she stood up and she went, I guess that's better on the outside than it was on the inside. Maybe those are cancer cells that are, that are, that are in the bucket now. That, that was a mindful of the way that she looked and she looked at living life to its fullest. But what we did is we begin to have conversations and, and our sweet daughter was missing. She missed a couple of, 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 of medical situations. Um, the doctors missed some examples. And as a result, by the time she found it, she, she, she said, dad, I didn't need to go to the gynecologist because I wasn't sexually active. That's wrong. That, that is absolutely wrong. So my, her doctor will tell you that's wrong. The doctors will tell you. Um, so there were some things that she missed. So as, after, as she was, telling us these stories. I said, can we use your story to try to affect others? And she said, yes, please do. And so I wrote an article called the, the question every dad should ask his daughter. And the questions are, are you going to the gynecologist on, a, on an annual basis? And are you doing monthly breast exams? And I want this to become something that dads aren't afraid to talk to their daughters about. And that was the reason why I wrote the article. It, it morphed into a, into a nonprofit. It's called Keisha Warrior Princess. Um, you can go to the website at warriorprincess.org and find out more about it. But our main mission is our main demographic is women 25 to 45 because the medical industry doesn't start doing mammograms unless you have previous history until you're 45. So what we're seeing is more and more women, a higher increase in cancer before 45. In addition to that, when you're diagnosed before 45, you have a higher propensity to be in a higher stage because the doctors have missed it. You're, you're, you're there. So what we want is we want women to find these issues in stage one. We want them to find them in stage two. And you do that through breast exams. To be able to go, oh, there's something different. There, there, there's something different. And that's what you want to talk to your doctor about. And you, and the doctor looks at your body different. A, a, a female, a gynecologist for women asks different questions than your PCP, your, your, your regular doctor. So she wasn't going to those. So that's our mission. Our mission is to push that. We do that through a, a, a various ways. But we have something we call a, a, a shower reminder card, and it's a simple little device that hangs on your shower card. It has the seven steps of a breast exam. It gives you all the details on the back of how to do that. And we provide them free of charge on our website. We distribute them since uh, 2020. We distributed about 40,000. We just received a Another order yesterday or earlier this week for another 12,000. But we are distributing those with the idea that what we want to do is just, hey, have you done that this month? Have you, have you, have you done what you need to do this month? And we're working on an app that would also be a reminder process. But the key is it, it's, it, it is all about our story and my daughter's story. But it's not about her story. It's about your story. It's about your story as a dad to ask your daughter when she's in her 20s. It's your story to ask your wife, your spouse, your girlfriend. It's her story. Uh, it, it's the woman's story to, to ensure that they're doing the right thing. And, and so our nonprofit is focused on that mission. And we've had some just some great stories. I, I, I know we don't have time, but I'll, I'll tell real quickly. I had a friend of mine that I had worked with for about five years call me uh, recently and said, 
Uh, Bob, I'm, I'm just calling to tell you, you saved my life. And, and the shortened version of this is she, she found the spot. She went to the doctor. The doctor said, I'm sure as young as you are, there's nothing. She said, I, I saw your face and I saw your daughter's face. And I said, can we have it checked? She went to the oncologist. She had it checked. And the doctor said, I'm sure it's nothing. You're young. I said, Ashley, how old are you? And she said, I'm 27. She goes, it was something. And I ended up having a mastectomy because it's the kind of cancer that keeps coming back. And if it hadn't been. For your story. The doctor said. We would be having a different conversation a year from now. It's so powerful. So, I mean, I just. It's, I don't want those stories. I want. I want you to do it and it to be nothing. The best thing that can happen is you check and there is nothing there. The second best thing that can happen is you check. And it is something and you catch it early. And then you just go on to live your life. You go on to live your life. You go on to have children. You go on to be a daughter to a, to, to a father. And I don't want to happen to you, to, to the woman, what happened with my daughter. And I definitely don't want any dad to live through what we've lived through, our parent. Well, I mean, everything you've said you know, it's a parent's worst nightmare. I mean, I'm emotional myself and right I'm trying to hold back tears. It's, you know, I have a daughter and, you know, one of the things that strikes me is you've taken the most painful thing a parent can go through and you've converted it into a mission that is going to help other people. And you already have stories of people that have actually had an outcome that has been the first two you talked about, right? Being able to catch it, um, um, find something and be able to address it. And then obviously something that's not there, but at least you checked and you, you don't run the risk of getting down further down the line. So obviously for our viewers, you know, if there's anybody that wants to help with the Keisha warrior princess, uh, initiative, being able to contact, uh, Bob and sync up with him around how you can help, please do so. Obviously it's a, an important initiative to be able to understand what you can do to help and your own family and obviously in the organization. So Bob, with that, obviously it's extremely emotional. It's very hard, but there's so many good stories that I know that you have told have come from this. There's been some shining light that has come out of uh, this horrible, horrible uh, moment that you don't want anybody else to go to, but there's going to be people that want to connect with you. They're going to want to be able to talk to you about your business, about contact centers, and especially around um, the initiative with Keisha Warrior Princess. How can they get a hold of you? How can they sync up with you? So, uh, warriorprincess.org is the website. Uh, we're on Facebook. We're on, uh, uh, if you look under Keisha Warrior Princess on Facebook and on Instagram, I'm on LinkedIn as Bob Furness. Pretty easy to find. Backslash Bob Furness. I got it first. So, if there's any more Bob Furnaces, you, you, you'll, you'll find me at backslash Bob Furness. I love to talk about the industry. I, I, I have a passion for this industry. My hashtag is I love this stuff. And I, I truly do love this stuff. And then as relates to, uh, to, to our nonprofit, I'm glad to talk. If you have an organization, if you'd like to deliver shower cards to all of your, uh, employees, we'll provide those, uh, free of charge. If you'd like to deliver those, to your employees in your contact center, uh, if you've got a, a group. Um, but Bob Furness, I'm pretty easy to find uh, on the search tool and um, and would love to talk to anyone about whatever they want to talk about. Thank you for, Absolutely. by the way, let me let me say something else. Thank you for the opportunity to be on this, this, this podcast. I've gone back and looked at who all was on the podcast. There's some really cool names in this podcast. You've done a really good job. So just being in in the same mix with some of with with, with the people that you've talked to is is a thrill, and and I'm honored. And then for you to end on what 
maybe was a little bit of a of a of a quiet moment uh, about our nonprofit even makes this much more valuable. So thank you so much. Absolutely. And Bob, we really appreciate all the knowledge you've been able to share, all of the journey that you've been able to have moments that give each of our listeners something to take home with them. And then especially, obviously, yes, it is a very quiet moment at the end, but it's a very important thing for our audience to be able to hear and the great work that you and everyone that's working with you are doing. So for our listeners, obviously, please connect with Bob if you have any questions. And for those of you, obviously, that uh, follow us, we have our season ending soon. And so again, anyone who has any feedback, opinions, even guest suggestions, please send it to info at noblebiz.com. And again, thank you so much for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Thank you for joining me in this conversation. If you're enjoying and learning from this podcast, please subscribe to our YouTube channel for exclusive clips. If you're listening to this on Apple and iTunes, we'd appreciate you leaving a review or hitting the five-star button. On YouTube, you can leave us reviews, comments, and suggestions for future podcast guests. In addition, if you want to get more valuable content on the contact center world, go to nobelbiz.com. My name is Christian Montez, and thanks for listening to another episode of First Contact Stories of the Call Center. Stay tuned for our next episode.